If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Colossians 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, I do thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your Son, who is the word, Lord, and he is worthy. I just pray, Lord, that you would open our ears this morning to hear your word, to receive it, Lord. Soften our hearts, uh, that uh, it may change us, Lord. I pray that you anoint Jackie, Lord, in the message this morning, Lord. Give him the words to speak that we must hear this morning, Lord. And I give you all the thanks and praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I took it in my office. Do you need it? Yeah, I saw a phone up here, and I thought, I wonder whose phone that is. And I picked it up, and my picture was on it. <laughs> but I know that's not my phone, so I figured it was yours. I just thought I'd let everybody be a part of our conversation. So I have your phone. It's safe and secure. I don't remember where I put it, but it's back there somewhere. <laughs> All right, this morning as we take a look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, there's this phrase that goes around in, uh, in Christianity in, in, uh, about putting on Christ, right? Uh, Paul tells us to do that in his epistles, put on Christ. And, and so, you know, usually what Paul does, because I think Paul had a little pessimism in him, uh, you know, he wrote 13 epistles. You study his epistles enough, you start to pick up some of his, certainly sarcasm, uh, but you start to pick up some of this, this sense. Listen to, to what he, every time he talks about putting on Christ, he starts with this idea. Put off all the old stuff. Put off all of that. Now, but he doesn't want us to focus on the old. Okay. The, I, the mental picture we want to have is I want to put away the old, the, the old habits, the old things, the old draws. I want to, I want to put all that away. But then he, what he wants us to focus on is Christ. That's why he spends more time telling us about the attributes of Christ and what these clothes are supposed to look like. And we all have a variety of styles here, right? Nobody here wants me to pick out your clothes for you. Uh, any more than I want you to pick out mine. We all have unique styles and unique things about us that make us diverse. And the beautiful thing about coming to Christ is we maintain all of that still. 
You're not supposed to lose who you are. And the reason I know that is because you have 66 books in the scriptures written by 40 different authors. And every single one of those authors, their personality comes through in their writing. So that when I read it, I know who I'm reading. When I read John, I go, oh, that's John. That apostle of love. Or if I'm reading Paul, I can say, oh, that sounds like Paul. Or Moses. Uh, oh, there's Moses. You know, we hear their voice. God didn't take the authors of the scripture and purge their personality and their voice out of who they were. He didn't do that. He just asked them to add this. Add this. Put away the old. Those old pursuits, those old attitudes, those old things, right? That, that we all thought were going to bring satiation in our life. Put those things off. Add this. Add this. I like, uh, I like roast. You guys like a roast? Roast in a crock pot that's been sitting in a crock pot just getting all juicy. And then you put whatever magic Kathy sprinkles and turns it all into gravy. And then I have roast cooking in gravy with potatoes and, and carrots. And that makes me hungry. I want to go eat right now. <laughs> I love it. But, but here's the thing. The, the thing that makes a good stew or good roast is knowing the, when to add what. Right? And what not to put in. If I try to do it, it make a mess. So I love that Paul has laid out for us a recipe. Right? For what it is to make our... Christianity, palatable. Now, we spend a lot of time adding a lot of other stuff to it. You, you will not find those things in this list. We spend a lot of time adding other, you know, whatever, whatever our thing is, right? But, but we just want to focus on what Paul's telling us. What, what do I need to put in this? What do I need to put in my life so that I begin to... Have an aroma in my life that pleases God the Father. And I have an aroma in my life that, that is uh, inviting. Uh, doesn't mean we, everybody, everybody doesn't like the same stew, right? Doesn't mean it's all going to be the same and that nobody will ever be offended by the fact that I put something in my stew that they don't like, but... The key is, am I putting in what God says? Am I just adding what he asked me to add into my life? So he begins in verse 12. We'll take a look. Colossians 3.12. He says, there's a reason why I want you to put all these things on. So we'll start with the reason. What's the reason I'm adding these things to my life? He says, the reason is because you are chosen of God. Chosen. God chose you. It says in Ephesians 1.4, that even as he chose us, uh, Paul writing to believers, even as he chose us, and here's the phrase that everybody wants to read past, and I don't think we should do that. Even as he chose us in him. Well, who's the in him? Yeah, in Christ. Look, it's important when we think about election and God's choosing that, we, that we're able to keep that wrapped up in what Scripture lays out for us. And here's one of the things that, that we want to understand. We have it, the precedent set for us all the way back in the books of Moses. As we, as we work our way uh, through the law, we're, we're invited to, to come along on the initial journey of Joshua right into the promised land. So Joshua is now ascended to the place of Moses and he's bringing the children of Israel in. You guys remember the story, right? He sends out spies. He only sends two because when he was a spy once, when he was younger, uh, they sent 12 and 10 of them were no good. So Joshua said, I'm going to send two. There are better chances if there's two people that, that they come back okay. And they run into a prostitute. I've always wondered a little bit about that, but they run into a prostitute. They're hiding from the, the guys in Jericho. We, we remember in the story? 
The prostitute, uh, she hides them, keeps them safe. And she tells them, she says, look, we all know, all of us in Jericho, we all know that your God is, is uh, for real. And he's going to give you guys our city. When he does, would you save me? And this is what the spies told her. The spy said, everybody who comes into this house will be saved. You hang a scarlet thread out your window so that all the soldiers who come will know that this is Rahab's house. And everyone who came into Rahab's house was chosen. Do you understand? Just as he chose us in Christ. Everyone who comes in to Christ is chosen. And because we're chosen, God says, I want you to add these things to your life. Because you're chosen. Because you are in Christ. Now, not only that, he said, he's, he's laying out for us. Not only have you been chosen, but look at the next two words he uses to describe the chosen ones are holy and beloved. Right? Not only are we chosen, we're holy. And holiness, guys, is a declaration. It's something that occurs by who you hang out. Think about the Old Testament. When, how did someone become unclean? Well, if they touched somebody who was unclean, right? Uh, you bump up against a leper, dirty person, whatever. You're, oh, I'm unclean. I gotta go, I gotta go clean. How were they holy? The word holy, guys, all the word holy means is set apart. So we've been chosen in Christ, right? By God, God has chosen us because God decreed before the foundations of the world that everyone who came into Christ would be chosen. So we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. We find ourselves, not only that, but we're declared holy. Why are we declared holy? Because something magical happened, pixie dust dropped on my head and I became holy. How's it work? Or is it really our efforts? Do you really think that? Do you really think it's your effort at becoming holy that has made you holy? Because that's not what the Word of God declares. The Word of God declares that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for me. That I might become the righteousness of God. See, he, he takes my failure, my brokenness upon himself, and he gives me, declares me holy, righteous, set apart. Because you've been chosen and because you've been set apart, holy, declared such by a relationship with him. Because I am, because of my proximity to Christ, that's what makes us holy. Because of your proximity to the temple. That's how you were holy in the Old Testament. The closer to the holy of holies, the more holy you were, right? The closer to Christ you are, the more holy you are. Now, that will affect the things we do because when we're close to Jesus, there's things that change in our life, right? But that's not, that's not the source. The source is Him. Because not only have you chosen, but because you are holy. Listen, in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen race. This is Peter talking to the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are his prize. You are what Christ has won by it, that death, burial, and resurrection. You have become trophies of his grace. So that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness and into the light. We praise Him for what He's done, right? He's called us from darkness to light. For though once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You are a holy people. Set apart to Him. You belong to Him because 
you're chosen in Christ, right? Are you got everybody tracking with me okay? We're holy, we're chosen, and we're beloved. Here's the things that we got to understand. Look, our holiness is how Christ is reflected, His image reflected in my life by how I live. Not by me thinking about all the things I should do or not do, but simply by my proximity to Him. How close to Jesus can I get? Then I become more like Him. Just like you become like your wife or your dog becomes like you. You know, no? You guys never seen that? You know, dogs, they say dogs take on the attitude of their owner, right? So every time I look at my puppy and I think, what a stupid dog. (laughs) I go, oh my gosh. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, maybe. I don't know. I can't blame nobody else because she hangs out with me all the time. So we, because of my proximity to Christ, He is reflected in my life. That's holiness, okay? Being beloved is Christ being revealed by how we love each other. So because you are chosen in Christ, holy... Reflecting Him by how we live. And beloved, reflecting Him by how we love. Right? We're showing the love of Christ through our life. And that's not something that's natural. There's no point in which the Bible tells us that's natural. So you say, well, I I don't feel like loving nobody. Well, perfect. The Bible says you probably won't. But in Romans 5, 5, it says the love of God is poured into your life. By the Holy Spirit. So because of your relationship with God, He has gifted you with His Holy Spirit, which will breathe love in a life that maybe doesn't really know how to define that. But yet God gives it. God gifts it to us so that we can respond and and here's the rub, because, because really setting the anchor down in who we are in Christ, that we're chosen and holy and beloved, is the source, the wellspring from which are going to spring the other parts. So we really want to be able to understand it. And if I'm going to love others like Christ loved me, then I need to understand how it is to be unloved. And loved by the creator of the universe. Jesus went to a Pharisee's house. Simon the Pharisee's to eat. And while he was there, you know, they were testing him and grilling him. And had a bunch of questions for him. But but while he's there, this woman of ill repute. I just wanted to say it different than prostitute. Because you guys don't hear prostitute no more, huh? This woman of ill repute. This woman who everybody thought was, you know, just garbage. She comes in. And she anoints his feet. Remember the story? She weeps over his feet and her tears. And she washes it with her hair. You you kind of remember the, the concept. And all the Pharisees are looking at Jesus like, why is he letting that dirty person touch him? Now, for us, maybe let's remove the idea of prostitute. Just put homeless person, drug addict. It doesn't make any difference. Whatever person you think in your heart is invaluable or unvaluable, without value. And you're having somebody over for dinner, and this person just shows up and comes in with them and starts crying over them and weeping and washing their feet. Be weird. It's just as weird for you as it is for them. They're wondering, why isn't Jesus do something about this person? So he did. So Jesus said, Simon, in Luke 7, verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee answered and said, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. So Jesus said, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. You get that, right? 
Now he's looking at her, but he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she, what? Loved much. That's not that, don't miss this, it's not that Jesus forgave her then because she loved much. That's not what's going on. He's saying to Simon, she's been forgiven. There's probably already been an interaction with Jesus and this woman. She's been forgiven, but because she has been forgiven, she loves. Right? What's We're chosen, and we are holy because of our proximity to Him. And then if you know what God has forgiven you from, you love. That's how it works. The love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Because I know what a wretch I am. I love him because he loved me then. Right? You guys kind of get what he's laying out for us. And he wants us to understand this is the reason we're adding these things to our life. Okay? So this is the reason. This is where the groundwork takes place. And so since this is true, right? As chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on... Compassionate hearts. Here are the attitudes. The the attitudes that he's saying, this is what I want you to put in your stew. This is what I want you to put. I want you to put in a heart of compassion. Now that sounds so much nicer in English. Because in Greek it's bowels of compassion. And we all go, that's just a bad picture. Bowels of compassion. But here's what the Greeks said. The Greeks said, oh, I don't know why you would say heart, your heart. You don't feel nothing in your heart. You feel it in your gut. So that's what they would say. This is compassion. Every time the Bible talks about the compassion of Christ, that he was moved with compassion, it's saying his gut hurt. He, he looked and it, he felt it's physical. It's not just a, an emotional thing. It was a physical thing. Man, he, he felt mercy. The word is tender mercy or heart of compassion. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, listen to this. It says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercy. Is that how you know him? Because... It cracks me up how many people spend time reading the Word of God and reading the Old Testament and they don't see the God of mercy there. I know the world does it. I don't expect them to see the God of mercy. They, they probably don't see God much of anywhere. But on every page, the God of mercy is there. God's long-suffering and compassion is there. We, we, we see judgment and wars and battles. Sure, those things happen. Don't those things happen in your life? Last I checked, those things are still happening in mine. Those things are real. That's part of real life. But if you don't see God's mercy, you're not really reading all that carefully. You're missing. Paul described the Father as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Scripture would declare that God's desire is to forgive. You know that? God's desire. That's what he wants. The prophet Ezekiel said the Lord has no glory in the destruction of the wicked. 
but that the wicked would repent and live. And I don't believe that God is duplicitous. Meaning, I don't believe that the scripture says on one hand, this is what God wants. And on the other hand, it's not what God wants. Oh, when, when the Lord says something, that's what he means. He will judge for sure. So he's saying, this is what I want you to add. I want you to add a heart of compassion. Being moved by compassion. Like Father like son right he's saying look this is god's heart to be the father of mercy to have mercy this attitude add this attitude to your life add the heart of compassion and as we look at these attitudes they're all one's going to spring kind of kind of fold into the next into the next really like like uh like cooking like adding adding seasoning to to what you're making so that it's all folding in and you have one great taste his heart of compassion the the second thing he says is not not only that not only a compassionate heart but the the next is kindness kindness means goodness or pleasant the the word is interesting because the word there's no difference between kindness and the word good in, in Hebrew or Greek. Kindness and good. They're the, they're the same term. So in Psalm 34, 8, when it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's the same word for kind. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. The kindness of God. When we think about it, well, let's think about what did Jesus ever tell us what, what, what's kindness look like? Well, here's what it says, guys. Luke 6.35. <clears throat> he said, love your enemies and do good. Lend and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be called sons of the Most High. That means you are acting like your father. For he is, listen, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Did you catch that? So he says, what, what does kindness look like? Love your enemies. Do good. Lend and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be called sons of the Most High. Why? Because you're looking like him. That's what he looks like. Isn't that what he does for you? Does the sun shine on only the good? Does a cool breeze only blow on those who are good? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I'm in that category ungrateful probably more often than I ought to be. But this is what kindness looked like to Jesus. And God the Father is kind, so I want to add a sprinkle of kindness, right? I want to add a sprinkle of kindness to my heart of compassion in my stew, my relationship with Jesus Christ. But not only am I to have a heart of compassion, and not only am I to have kindness, then he says, add in humility. Humility. Perhaps a good way to find that is thinking of one's self less. Being careful of how many eyes are in my sentence. To place oneself low. Here's what the scripture says about it. Micah 6, 8. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. What is it that the Lord requires? What does God want of me? Do justice. Notice that's a do word. That's active. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. That's what God wants. 
Walk humbly. Isaiah 57, 15, he said, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, the most exalted one, God Almighty, here is what he says, he inhabits eternity. His name is holy. That's how we become holy. Why? We get close to him. We get close to him. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also, not only does God dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him, who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. What's God say he does to the humble? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God says, man, not only do I dwell in the highest of highs, but I want to be with the lowest of lows. Because I want to lift them up. That's what the Lord declares. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 gives us a little bit of a, a further understanding on the concept of humility. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. we got to fold others in, Right? Think of others more significant. Let each of you not look let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Look out for one another. That means if you're sitting around thinking, how come nobody's looking out for me? Stop it. And find someone to look out for. Do you catch it? This is never about us turning all these things inward and saying, where is this for me? No, then that's, that's the opposite of humility. Humility says, who can I be kind to? If nobody hugged me today. Who could you hug? Nobody loved me today. Who can you love? Pour out. The Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You get it? See it, go and be it. Don't wait for someone to do this to you. Do this, add this, fold this into your life. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and then meekness. Meekness is a word we don't hear often except when we talk about the Lord. Meek, in, in uh, um, Numbers 12, there's a story that, that is the biblical definition of meekness. It says, Moses was the most meek man on the face of the earth that's he wrote it i have to i have to say that moses wrote it so i don't know how that works to be honest but what but the story he wrote and the example is what i really want us to grab a hold of moses is leading the children of israel you guys remember they complain a lot right He's leading the children of Israel and his brother and sister start a rebellion against him. And they say, why should we follow you, Moses? You think God only talks to you? He can talk to us too. And so they start a rebellion. And so Moses is like, hey, okay, you know, I don't know, whatever. I didn't want this gig, to be honest with you. You know, I tried to get God to get somebody else. But whatever you want to do. And so they go into the, <laughs> to the temple and they say, we're going to find out what God wants. And the Lord descended on the, or the tabernacle, the Lord descended on the tabernacle. And when the smoke cleared, Moses' sister had leprosy. And Moses prayed for her. Oh God, don't. Don't give her leprosy. So God healed her. And scripture said, the Lord said, Moses, you are the meekest, the most gentle man ever. Because in the midst of all, I'm sure there was a lot of hurtful things said. You guys know how family is, right? I'm sure there's a lot of hurtful things said and hurtful things done in family, right? Then all that, that whole ruckus. But at the end of it, Moses, all he wanted to do was pray for his sister. 
And God healed her. That's God defining what meekness is. Gentleness. Gentleness is, is this attitude. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 10.1. <clears throat> I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face, but bold when I am away. He says, look, I, I, I entreat you by the meekness of Christ. I want to be like Jesus, who was meek, gentle. He didn't hold a grudge. He prayed for those who broke his heart. Didn't he? Father, forgive them for they know not what... That sounds familiar, doesn't it? He prayed for his disciples, even the night when he's arrested, while they couldn't stay awake to pray with him. Right? That's meekness. Gentleness. Here's what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, gentle, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. So we want to add... Meekness, and the final thing he asks us to add here in this verse, we have more to go. It's, oh, Lord, he's done all this time in one verse we're never going to get done. No, I promise we will. He says, not only adding these things, right? Compassionate, heart, kindness, humility, meekness. The last one is patience. Patience, long-suffering. Long-suffering is being willing to endure with somebody who's a pain. That's what God's done since he said, let there be light, pretty much, right? He has been long-suffering, willing. He says, add this. Why are we adding these things? Because we're in Christ. We want to reflect him in how we live and how we love. So we want to reflect patience. We want to reflect the willingness to endure, listen, I, I don't want you to miss this. The Lord, the Lord in Exodus 34, 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God great, uh, merciful and gracious. This is God defining himself. Slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now here's what people do with this verse that they ought not do. There's nothing in the Bible, no such thing in the Bible as a generational curse. At least not a generational curse the way some people think about it. God said, for the love of, I don't know what God would say, for the love of God, maybe he would say that, I don't know. Stop using this proverb in Ezekiel, this is what he says, stop using this proverb. My father ate sour grapes and my teeth fell out. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, God says, look, no child is paying for his father's sin, the Lord said. Each man pays for his own. So what does this mean when God says this? Just as an aside, I don't, I don't want you to, to, to think this. It says he's visiting the iniquity. He will by no means clear the guilty. He will by no means clear the guilty, no matter how many generations it goes. Not just three or four, forever. If a child is guilty... He'll be guilty before God. If his father's guilty, he'll be guilty before God. He will visit iniquity. Sin will get dealt with. To every generation. Now, there's not the sense of a generational curse in which your father sinned and God's mad at you about it. But there is a generational curse in the sense that sometimes the sins of the father pass to the son. Right? Not because something magic happened, simply because that's what we modeled. Sometimes I look at my children and I heard things out of their mouth and I said, Oh, uh, he learned that from me. 
He learned that from me. Now he'll be guilty before God for his own sin. And I will be guilty to God for mine. But don't miss the beginning. God says, I am patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. What's God want to do first? Forgive. So God patiently, listen, I don't want, God patiently waited for 490 years for the children of Israel to get their act together. How many lives is that? It's a lot, right? Where God was long-suffering through someone's entire life, waiting for them to repent. And after 490 years, God judged. That's not a God filled with judgment. That is a God of mercy. You think... When Peter came and said, how many times should I forgive my brother? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, nope, 70 times seven. You think that's just a random number? It just means forever? 490 years God forgave the children of Israel for their disobedience. And when he judged them, he only judged them one generation. Just one generation and he didn't kill them. When he judged them, he just put them in bondage, slavery. One generation, then you can come back. That's a God of mercy. He's saying here, I want you to be like me. I want you to be long-suffering. I want you to be long-suffering with one another. Oh, Tommy said, Tommy, I hurt my feelings. For the love of God, grow harder feelings. Man, be long-suffering. Be long-suffering. Don't you know how long God suffers with you? Be long-suffering like Him. Patient. You know who it's not hard for us to do this with? It's hard for us to do this with people, just normal people. Because normal people, you know, they're the dirty ones. But our children, oh, now our children, we can be long-suffering with our children. Right? I know we can be... Go ahead and answer, it's all right. We can... It's it's Logan's getting a birthday phone call. It's it's okay for us to be long-suffering with our kids. Why? I can have a lot more patience with them. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not frustrated and upset. But sometimes a person looks at me the wrong way and I'm just done. Or they, they did something, you know, for the fourth time or the fifth time or whatever. And I'm just done. And God says, that's not what I do. I'm long-suffering with that person as long as they live. If you live 491 years, then you can be unlong-suffering that last year. But otherwise, right? The point is, be long-suffering. Well, this is what we're adding. Why are we adding this? Because we're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, then we're holy. That means we live like He lives. And we're beloved. That means we love like He loves. And so this is all He's asking us is, Hey, be like me. Be like me. Be long-suffering. Verse 13. See, you thought we'd never get there, but we did. Bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also do. See, it just fits along with long-suffering, right? Bearing with one another. Oh, Jackie, you don't know. It's work. Oh, trust me, I do. I have in-laws too. (laughs) Kathy's like, what are you picking on my sisters for? I'm not. I just said I had (laughs) in-laws. No, they're the outlaws. (laughs) We want to, sorry, we want to bear with one another, right? Bear. 
It's, it, sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's work. But we want to do that. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, if you got a complaint against somebody, what are you supposed to do? Forgive them. Forgive them. They're not asking for forgiveness. Oh, I missed that part in this verse. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord forgave you. Forgive them. The only one that's hurting is you anyway. Just let it go. What does it mean when I forgive? When I forgive, I am relinquishing my right to judge them. That's forgiveness. I relinquish my right. The Lord judge. Jonah was upset about that, you remember? That's why he was so mad about Nineveh. He went to Nineveh and he said, No, if I go to Nineveh, God, you're going to forgive him. Them dirty people, they done wrong. They're no good. I'm not going. But God got him there, right? And he goes and he walks into Nineveh and he preaches the worst message ever preached. Forty days, God's going to kill you. Neener, neener, neener. And he goes up on a mountain. You think I'm wrong? Read Jonah. And then the people repent and God forgives. Oh, come on. We, we want to be people who bear with one another. Why? Because God does. We, wanna, we want to forgive one another. Why? Because God does. That's God's attitude. Now listen, verse 14. This is the key. And above it all, more important than all this stuff we just talked about, put on love. Because God is loving. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 tells us that God is love. Listen to what it says. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together. If you want all of this to work, you want this, this stew, this relationship with Christ, this thing that we're, that we're adding to, we're thinking about I'm turning away from the old life, but these are the new things that I'm pouring into my life. I want my life to be a sweet smelling aroma to God and I want it to be a sweet thing to people I want it to go in in every direction that it can the Lord says then you got to put on love got to have love my wife when we were in California she ran a thrift store and sometimes she had to fire people and look uh, as her husband, my wife has never shied away from confrontation a day in her life. <laughs> Not one time in our 30-some years of marriage has, has she not, if she needed to have a meeting with me, we have never skipped it. Not one time. We have never gone to bed and said, we'll do it tomorrow. No, no, no. We're staying up. So, but here's the beautiful thing about it. Even then, even, even that, it all comes from love. She wants to stay connected. I used to tell people I coach this all the time. Look, you'll know when I don't care about you anymore because I'll stop. I'll just let do what you want. I don't care. You're not listening to me anyway. You ever had that attitude with people? But someone who's loving, they'll confront to connect. Yeah, I don't want this to go away. So you matter enough for me to say, I'm going to make this work. So, so she is, this never happened to me. I, I had the pleasure at Joshua Springs of being the guy who got to fire people. Because mostly nobody else wanted to do it, and, and I would do it. But she fired, I never had anybody do this. She fired somebody, and they got up and hugged her and thanked her. And the reason that happened, not because, you know, that's her superpower, but it's because everything she did came out of love. Now, in the end, the lady still didn't have a job, and she was still gone. 
And she was mad at other people. She wasn't mad at Kathy. But she, what she knew after that meeting was, you love me. Now, if a lot of us have the ability to confront, I can confront, but you may not know I love you when it's over. So what do I need to add? Love. That, he doesn't say stop confronting. Well, God doesn't tell us that. Paul spends his almost his whole career confronting people. But what's the key? We got to confront them how? In love. We need more love. We need to care more, not less. We care too little now. That's part of the problem. That's where disconnects happen. That's where we, we start to lose our grip on one another because, because I don't care. Uh, I'd rather just go do something, watch a football game or do something, almost anything else. So he says, over everything, I want you to put on love. Above all, I want you to understand love is the glue. Love is the expression of justifying faith in Galatians 5.6. Love is the primary fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love is the supreme Christian grace in 1 Corinthians 13. And Jesus said it is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Love. Above all, put on love. And as we add these things to our life, then we're going to see something. We're going to see this, this element of control. It says, let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you were once called, in one body, and be thankful. Look, the first word, I love this word, don't miss this word, you should circle words like this. Let, and let, peace. Man, the, the thing that withholds peace in our life, the peace of God is not the fact that the peace of God's not there. It's that I don't like to let. I like to stroke my hurt feelings. I don't want to let the peace of God rule my heart. I want to, I want to nurse my wound. I don't want to let the peace of God. He says, let the peace... Of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called. You were called to peace. At once we were at enmity with God, at war with God, but now we're at peace with God. How did we make peace with God? We, we got in Christ. We became chosen, holy, beloved. We're we're in Him. And because we're in Him, this is what we have. So we have to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts like an umpire. This is one of the things me and Kathy have done our, our whole marriage. And hopefully we'll do it all the rest. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't. We, we don't do nothing. I don't make... Um, I don't just say we're doing this. And we do it. But God's given me my wife. She's a gift to me. So what I say is, hey, babe, I want to do this. What do you think? And she say, I don't know. And I say, well, let's pray about it. And when we are together, we do it. And when we're not, we don't. Because I will let the peace of Christ rule. And if we're not at peace, then there's not peace. The same Holy Spirit that works in me works in her. Yes? So, the same, it's the same rule we do in the government of the church, by the way, the elders. We do the same thing. I get in trouble for it all the time, but I'm like, look, we are all in and we're all out. And something stays on the table until we're all in or all out. So, sometimes we talk about things ad nauseum. And everybody's like, man, I'm so tired of talking about this, but we're not united. And until we're united, we don't, it doesn't come off. All in, all out. We gotta, we gotta be together. That's how the marriage should be. Otherwise, our marriages get divided, right? <clears throat> because eventually, one of those decisions we make will be hard. But we're united. 
Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart because you've been called to this. And be thankful. Be thankful. Become thankful ones. Man, I want to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, let it. Let it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. For what purpose? Why do we want the word of God? Why do we spend time reading this and studying this stuff? So that you can teach and admonish one another. That word admonish is a big word that means um, warn. Teach and warn. Hey, brother, you might not want to do that. Uh, You know, be careful. Watch out. That's hot. No. Teaching and warning one another because the word of Christ is dwelling within us. And what else? And sing. Sing. Let that song that is bouncing around in your heart. You know what? Every child sings. All of them sing. It's, uh, it's when we get older, we teach them not to sing. Right? They get older and somebody goes, hey, you don't sound so good. <laughs> I remember people told me that. Man, I, I still remember. I don't. I don't, actually don't remember where I was, but I remember them saying, oh, hey, mm, you shouldn't do that. That don't sound good. I think it was my dad. So I didn't sing for a long time until I was like 30-something after that. We teach kids to stop singing. But when you're happy around the house and you're having a good time, you know what? You just make up any old silly song, don't you? Because in something inside of us wants to express joy. And that's one of the ways we express it. Oh yeah, I sing the dumbest songs walking around the house. And it was funny, last night I, was, I had headsets, I was playing a video game with my grandson. And uh, he does the same stuff. And, and his mom was getting on his case, you know, Jackson, 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 you're too loud. You're too... And I'm like, oh my gosh, the apple don't fall far from a tree. He's a Roberts, that kid. <coughs> because... We get happier, we're having fun, and we just like to make noise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, what Scripture declares? He's, what's, he, what's he telling us? You're adding these things to your life. You're adding these things. What are, you, what are you letting? You're letting the peace in. What are you letting? You're letting the Word of, of God, the Word of Christ in. Uh, what are you letting? You're letting singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. Let this stuff happen. Stop restraining it. My dad told me, you're, you're, uh, you're going to be a man one day, son, and men don't cry. Don't you cry. I remember crying like a kid, you know, when I was a baby. and Well, I wasn't a baby then, but young. When you're 55, everybody's a baby, just so you know. I remember crying and my dad saying, you better stop crying and I'm going to come in there and give you something to cry about. (laughs) And you know, if I didn't repeat that same line to my kids, you better stop your crying, I'm going to come in. And you know what? I hear my kids say it to my grandkids. (laughs) But when I came to Christ, all that stuff was over. I cry at a commercial now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous the things that will make me cry. And the things that make me cry, it's just because the Holy Spirit softens your heart. You know, you, you spend all this time as a man making your heart hard. And then God comes in and goes, look, knock yourself out, brother, but I can make it soft. <laughs> and the next thing you know, first it starts with crying. But my point is, I don't want it to stop there. Let it go all the way to praise. Tie back into that little kid. Forget what people told you, whether you sound good or you don't sound good. God doesn't make that qualifier. He just says, sing. Add this, sing. Let this be expressed through your life. Verse 17, last verse. And whatever you do, in word or deed, 
Do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Do it all. God gave you this world to enjoy. Not to be soaked in lemon juice. God gave you good things to enjoy. Enjoy them in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Enjoy them in Him. Do everything, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything I do, I want to do in His name, and I want to be thankful for it. I want to be thankful for it. Every time I get on that bike and I go somewhere probably too fast. But the whole time I'm on that bike, I am thanking God. Because it just feels good. And it's something God has given me to enjoy. One day God may take it. That's okay. He always, he's given us good things. Don't ever look at the good things God's given and think, oh, I shouldn't enjoy this. What in the world are you talking about? Do everything in his name. There were some mornings I was down on the river uh, duck hunting. God awful early in the morning and so cold oh my gosh I was so cold I was so cold my my shotgun froze shut I couldn't pump a shell in and I didn't care because my hands were so cold I want to put them in my pockets and you get out there on this island in the middle of the river and everything is frosted And you just sit down and you go, wow. And you think, ah, thank you, God. Everything is good. Because God's given it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it in His name. These are the things we need to add to our life. Let go of the old stuff. They didn't satisfy anyway. And pour in the new. And watch what God does. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for opportunity to study your word, God, to draw near to you God and and Lord I just pray that we might understand that God's trying to show us how to make a life with him and and making a life with him means I let go of some stuff I let that stuff go I don't hold on to it but he doesn't want me to keep my eyes on the things I let go my anger my malice my whatever he says no let that go and put this in put this in hearts of compassion Kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, caring about one another, walking in humility. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Let the word of God dwell in you. And sing. Connect again with the you God made you to be, not the you this world made. Connect again with the maker, the one who saw you when you were not formed, who knew you before you knew yourself. The one who has called you to His presence with exceeding joy. God, we want to reflect You in what we do, God. And we want to reflect Your love and who we love. And we want You to be evident in us. So God, we pray that You would do this Your word declares that if you start, you promise to finish. That you will definitely conform us into the image of your son. 
So God, we put our hope in you, our trust in you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you meet us here and help us along the journey. God, be glorified and magnified in this place. And may we go from this place looking and acting like you. Not because of what we don't do. Because we what we add. So Lord, we pray, be magnified as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.